0: dogs make the best companions for humans, this podcast aims to help make humans better companions for their dogs. Welcome to the Baru Podcast, a modern lifestyle podcast for dogs and their people. I'm your host, Charlotte Bain. I've been caring for other people's dogs for more than 15 years, and while I've learned a lot in my career, I definitely don't know it all. So I've collected an ever-evolving roster of amazing dog people and I learn new things from them all the time. Hi, you guys. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Baru Podcast. In this episode, we are talking about stress, burnout, and mental health as it relates to the veterinary community. I want to offer a little warning here. We do briefly discuss pet euthanasia, mental health, and the alarmingly high rate of death by suicide in the veterinary community. The veterinary community is facing a mental health crisis. It's not just here in the United States, but it's around the globe. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Taylor Miller of Not One More Vet. Not One More Vet is a nonprofit that's dedicated to providing support, awareness, and education for veterinarians and those that want to support them we chat about some of the stressors and the realities of being a veterinarian and how we as pet guardians can be more mindful and even more prepared for our vet visits. So let's listen. I'm really thrilled that you're here, Dr. Miller. I wanted to have you on because I wanted to help to create awareness and education around some of the issues and the stressors that our space. face. Um, I'm going to let you lead a lot of this conversation because it's so important. Um, and you're far more qualified than I am to to doc. So, um, so yeah, if you could <laughs> just tell us a little bit about your background and who you are, and we'll take it from there.
1: Yes, I would love to. And thank you so much for having me on today. I really appreciate your Interest in this topic and awareness about it yourself. And I am so glad that we're here to talk about this most important subject. Um, So, I am a veterinarian and a mental health counselor. So, early on in my career, I recognized the number of bathroom breaks that were actually crying jags, you know, in the hospital that I was working at because we had some uh, poor management choices that led to a lot of stress or added stress. And Um, watching colleagues, watching really talented technicians leave the field even because the stress ate them up Mm -hmm. was heartbreaking. So I went back to school and got a degree in mental health so that I could have the tools to address what I saw as a really significant problem. And through this, this shift in my career direction, I became aware of Not One More Vet, mm-hmm. um, which is a nonprofit devoted to the improvement of mental health and the suicide awareness and prevention in the field. And I got drawn into them and have become a part of their of their world, which is really exciting mm-hmm. to be part of the solution actively. And so that's how I'm here today is as a a veterinarian, a mental health counselor, and a volunteer and board member of Not One More Vet. So all of my my focus is now on this intersection in the mental health world and the veterinary world. And pet parents are a huge part of that collage because they have the power. You may not realize this, but pet parents have the power to make or break a person's individual day. And individual days pile up on each other and... I never want an individual pet parent to feel responsible for the overall life of somebody else because that's absolutely not true. But recognizing how much power you do have to make somebody's day in the veterinary world, um, knowing that you have that power and using it for good can make a huge difference in the world. And ultimately, it means that your pet has, I mean, your pet's always going to get the best possible care but you and your pet will become special to a hospital if you if you are an assistant in this mental health world as opposed to someone who has to be guarded against right so um everybody wins when when we help each other exactly absolutely um can we
0: talk briefly about a little bit more about one more vet and what it um why it was established and what it hopes to achieve
1: yeah. So it started out as a private Facebook group established in 2014 by Dr. Nicole MacArthur in response to the loss to suicide of Dr. Sophia Yin, who was a very prominent, well-loved member of the veterinary community who focused primarily on behavior and fear-free practices. So how to make your pets experience in a hospital as fear-free as possible. The loss of Dr. Sophia Yen, who is such a bright person who fell into such a dark place, and we, we lost her to suicide. And Dr. MacArthur established this Facebook group to provide a place for veterinarians to talk about the dark side of the profession in a place where it was safe. And it grew and it grew and it grew until in 2017, it became a nonprofit. And after that, the steps just kept flowing until 2021, when the individual committee that I'm a part of was established. And we are here today with over 30,000 Facebook members on our our different forums. Yeah. And it's expanded to include veterinary staff members as well, because they need just as much support as the veterinarians do. And the overall mission of NAMVI is to transform the status of mental wellness through education, through offering resources, and then support. So kind of a wraparound number of services and programs that we have available. They're
0: geared towards uh, veterinarians. Are, Are there programs available for pet parents or is it mostly just geared towards resources for veterinarians?
1: Most of the resources are available for veterinarians. However, we do have educational materials available for pet parents or anyone who is interested in becoming an advocate. And we provide some of the statistics that are so troubling that give us that awareness. Um, Some of those are that one in six veterinarians will consider suicide at some point in their career. One out of every six. And I'm sure most parents have come across at least six veterinarians in their pets' lives. And so thinking back to those six, one of them probably has considered suicide. Um, And then risk of death by suicide compared to the general public is significantly higher for all veterinary professionals. Um, Female veterinarians are 2.4 times more likely than the general public to die by suicide. Female technicians only slightly less at 2.3, male veterinarians are 1.6 times, and male technicians are five times more likely than the general public to die by suicide. So really startling statistics here. And um, you know those numbers aren't insignificant when we look at the number of veterinary professionals there are out there.
0: Can we talk about the numbers? Can we talk about some of the reasons why we think, um, why these numbers are so high?
1: Yeah. One of the tricky parts in veterinary medicine, one of the things that Nambi is actually hoping to add to the conversation is research specific to the veterinary field. So there's um, increased risks of mental health issues and suicide in the human medical profession as well. I don't have any of those numbers. Um, so there have been a lot more research and a lot more focus in the human world because it's just larger, and so a lot of what we know or think currently is extrapolated from that human world. And we want to increase the number of veterinary specific studies and veterinary specific investigations. But some of the things that we suspect are part of that collage that leads to suicide is stress and burnout. You know, being in the veterinary world is long hours. Um, I think most veterinary professionals out there would agree that a 10-hour day is an average day, 14 hours not terribly uncommon and then it just goes on from there. So yeah. long hours and yeah. stress certainly burnout and one of the one of the key factors especially when it comes to The interaction between veterinary professionals and the public, and this is one of those places where maybe a difference can be made or that mindfulness piece can come in, is moral distress. So often we have to or we want to take care of the pet. That is often the highest thing that we want to do. But finances come into play. And good, bad, ugly, they are a fact of life. And most veterinarians understand that. But the way that we talk about finances can either make the veterinarian the bad guy, or they can just be a neutral fact. Finances are tough. How can we move forward and make make something work? Not finances are tough. You are a bad person for charging this much. There's a very different dynamic that happens. And um that is one of the most frequent things that we have to deal with that makes us feel awful is being blamed for the finances. I
0: do. I do know that a lot of people will go into their veterinarian already with their guard up thinking that somehow you're trying to pull the wool over their eyes when it comes to money. Um, and, and they try to navigate it in that way with that, with that stress and that, you know, that distance. Um, and, um, what are and they don't understand that you are just doing your job. So what ha, what happens if somebody can't pay their bill or how do you navigate the emotions around finances with your clients?
1: Absolutely. It's it's a really tricky situation and just as owners have developed this guardedness about it, so have we right. developed a guardedness about it because often conversations in which there's anything more than just fact presentation becomes emotionally charged and it creates a separation when best care means we should be creating a, a unified front and if it means that there isn't as much money as we want oftentimes we have tier B tier 3 plans you know we don't okay. we don't stop caring just because you can't pay for the absolute best right but how we navigate that conversation can make it an us problem or a your problem my problem separation problem right setting up really clear expectations at the beginning these these are my priorities as a pet owner this is the money that i have for today and for tomorrow sometimes we got caught up or Mm -hmm. we lose focus of the fact that today's costs are here But to maintain, we need to keep paying tomorrow and the next day. And that can be a place where as a veterinarian, my focus, my mental focus is on how do I care for the pet? And I don't always remember to say, oh, and tomorrow you'll need to buy more medication. So that'll cost more. And then the next day, because I'm I'm not thinking about finances.
0: Right. You're thinking about how you can help the pet. That's
1: your focus. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes it means that expectations aren't set up well. And when we don't have clear expectations between a vet and, a, and an owner, it's understandable that an owner is going to be upset if tomorrow they realize, oh, wait, everything I paid yesterday doesn't cover today. That's understandably an upsetting place right. to be but it wasn't it's not usually a deliberate attempt to get more money it's that my medical brain was fixated on how do i address these things right. in the order of of medical importance rather than how do i make sure that money is going where it needs to go so having really clear discussions and trying to make them neutral i have this much money i would like to do the best for my pet How can we use what money I have to best effect over today and tomorrow and the next day? And if you present it in a neutral way, most veterinarians will say, okay, this is what I have. Here's my strategy. Here's how to do this. And they'll work with you to try to offer the best possible care within your budget. But if you start out with a more guarded or an aggressive stance, yeah. Then, as a veterinarian, I still care about your pet, but I stop caring about you mm-hmm. because you are attacking me, right. and so I don't need to feel empathy or care for you as much. And you also need to I still protect love your pet. yourself. Exactly, yeah. but the person factor becomes less important to me because I feel helpless, and so I can't can't continue in that vein right. with that amount of personal connection. Right.
0: What are what, uh, what when you talk about moral distress so so finances would be are the number one thing you would say fairly large that, yes that make that fits it's complicated
1: right yeah. but thank you for drawing me back because the moral distress doesn't stop there so we have the pets needs financial needs sometimes we have restrictions in terms of what I'm legally able to do or what uh. what is a policy in my clinic. Maybe my clinic has set it up that I cannot offer this service without blood work. And that is a safety thing. That is something Uh that's best for the pet, but in a financial situation where that's a concern, lack of flexibility or agency might make it difficult for a veterinarian to, to work with an individual situation. If, if there's a policy in place, Um, whether we like it or not, veterinary medicine is a very perfectionistic career because mistakes are so costly, right? We can't make a mistake with a pet's life. That's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But it's also unrealistic that no mistakes will ever be made. I mean, nobody can operate at 100% perfectionistic levels ever. And Sometimes that manifests as fear of seeming less than perfect to colleagues. And so there can be a pressure to appear perfect and to do everything perfectly, which reduces the sense of support that a veterinarian or a staff member will feel within their community. And being isolated can make things distressing. Um, And hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully. Each clinic is set up in a way that feels supportive for, for each member, but that's not always true. And so there's also distress of how would somebody looking in at my notes on this case judge me? And so that starts to get played in. And then public health and safety. Um, dealing with very aggressive aggressive dogs can be a really high highly distressing situation because what's best for the dog is to get this blood drawn, to have its nails trimmed but do I intentionally put my technician at risk in order to accomplish this? So whose right. health and welfare is more important? My technician or this dog or the public, because now this dog is not vaccinated. And oftentimes there's a right way and then there's the way that is possible right. and when they don't match. There's a, a big sense of distress and that distress happens every day. And that's one of the bigger contributors to feelings of burnout and empathy distress and compassion fatigue and all of these things that we talk about in the medical world. And overwhelm. Yeah, exactly.
0: And you also have to make hard choices with your clients. I mean, I know there's a lot of loss, a lot of loss of life. It's um, as far as the dogs are concerned, um, when you're dealing and you have to deal with the navigate, how do you navigate the emotions around? I mean, that's got to take a toll on you emotionally when you're navigating the emotions of the pet parents and you're seeing so much loss of life for various reasons when it comes to our pets.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it absolutely does. And each veterinarian and veterinary professional will respond differently. So this is a very personal perspective that I'm going to give you. Um, for me, I, I I personally love that our profession has an option to cut shuffering short, that we have access to euthanasia. I find that to be a really kind final gift we can give our pets if it's approached thoughtfully and approached with the pet's best interest in mind. And if those categories are fulfilled, then while I feel grief and while I feel loss, I also feel so much gratitude that I am able to prevent suffering that it balances out in those cases. Mm -hmm. The cases that I find emotionally difficult are cases in which there is an outside factor, like one of those of the moral distress category that I mentioned, that mean that euthanasia is not the best choice for the pet today but we have no other choice so a puppy with a fractured pelvis and there is no money to help this puppy Mm. it is kinder to euthanize than to have this puppy exist with a broken pelvis yep say but it's not the right choice for the pet so that can be gut-wrenching so many tough choices oh exactly and each time that tough choice can be made with an owner in a way that feels collaborative, the, the quicker I recover from those kinds, when it feels as though I have been cast as the villain in those scenarios, mm-hmm. that somehow I'm the bad guy in this scenario, then because those are the ones that stick with me mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that and you the number of veterinary professionals that I know who have adopted broken pets broken and sick pets from their hospital you know because because an owner surrendered because they didn't have the finances um yeah it so happens right. all the time but there is there is a cap on how many broken dogs and cats each veterinary professional can adopt I mean there there is a limit sure
0: um Do you- Do you um, find that some veterinarians, I know, like, you know, similar to our education system where you see, you know, kindergarten teachers buying supplies and buying, you know, pencils and pens and paper for their students. Do some veterinarians decide to take over the costs? That's got to be incredibly stressful. Some
1: of... Yes. The very easy answer is yes. There will be little donations. There will be a oops, I forgot to enter that charge. We'll just we'll just let that happen and yeah. <laughs> you know we'll put in the notes that we gave fluids. Hopefully, but, we you know, the it. <laughs> fluids won't show up on the on the charges. But it's also yeah. very true that um that you know, if you're not the owner, you don't often have as much agency to make yeah. those choices and owners. Owners are often under a lot of pressure to keep salaries in place and to manage all of their Mm -hmm. finances. It's not. um, I remember our one, one boss that I had every day, we would tell him what supplies we needed for today. And he would check his credit card to see if he had enough money to buy those supplies for today. And then tomorrow it would be the same thing. So the margins depending on each hospital aren't, aren't extravagant. Um, And so it can be difficult to justify what we want to do. Right. I guess, which is just provide the care. Just provide
0: the care for um, free. Right. Which is mm-hmm. not possible. Yeah.
1: Right. But I do know I know plenty of veterinarians who have donated time. I've um, I've come in several times on days off to do a surgery where my time isn't paid. Mm-hmm. My time, you know, the supplies are still paid for, but I donated my time. Or, or sometimes, um, you know, we'll know somebody whose whose pet has passed, and they have leftover medication. We can't legally sell that. We, you know, it's secondhand drugs, but we can connect people and say, hey, you know, their pet passed, but they still had this much medication left over. Maybe they'd be willing to pass it on to you. And and so with with people who are willing to work with us right. and who let us let us be part of their solution. There's often a lot that we can try to to manage with them. Um, we just need to feel like right. we are part of their. We are on their team. If we can feel like we are on their team with them, and not their not their enemy, then oftentimes there's a lot that we fight for right. with you.
0: In those high stakes, emotional times, you need to be conscious. The pet parent needs to be conscious that, Mm -hmm. you know, this is, it takes two. It's, it's, you're all, you're one unit and kindness will get you further. Even when you're feeling, feeling overwhelmed and emotional and scared and all the feelings that you feel when you, especially like an emergency situation that you, um, that kindness will get you further, you know, kindness. Absolutely. Further Absolutely. Freaking out essentially. Mm-hmm.
1: So, well, lack and of a kindness means <laughs> that I will stay 10 more minutes, even though it's already nine thirty at night to make that phone call back to you because you were kind to me. And so I want to extend the same thing to yeah. you. Um, somebody who's yelled at me today or right. who's called me nasty names, I'm going to call them back tomorrow morning. They mm-hmm. can sleep. I'm going to go home. It's not worth my time at nine thirty at night to update them. Do do
0: veterinarians ever get threatened by by clients by emotional
1: pet parents? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, unfortunately, um, I've been threatened on more than one occasion, Um, and in each case, in each case, it was a it was a tragic scenario, one that was outside of human control. And, right. um, and I understood that the pet parent was feeling extreme distress and helplessness. I feel that helplessness can bring out some of the worst in us because it's almost impossible to hold that feeling of not being able to help and of feeling helpless and as a pet parent especially if you don't have any of the medical knowledge and all you see is is the bleeding or is you know this horrible situation and you can't help and then somebody else who should be able to help the veterinarian says they can't help um there's a right. lot of emotion that's very difficult to manage and i understand <sighs> that sometimes it comes out as anger or as lashing out and you know i'm often able to forgive those moments because i i understand what's happening but coming back the next day and still yelling—that's the part that I often feel could be better managed by a pet parent.
0: Yes, and even if you, even if you feel like you can, you yourself as a veterinarian can handle, can handle that because you know that they're just freaking out. It still chips away. Mm-hmm.
1: No, it does chips
0: chips away at you. You know, piece by piece. Even, no matter how small, mm-hmm. you know, and those those small things add up. They do. Um,
1: one other area that I'd like to talk about I've been speaking from the veterinarian's perspective because mm-hmm. that's the perspective that I have, but I think it would also be a wonderful reminder for pet parents that often our our receptionists who are our yes our frontline caretakers are are frequently early twenties mm-hmm. they often come to our fields because they love animals and want to be involved in some way in the care of animals. And they don't have all the medical answers because they aren't medically trained and they don't have a control over the schedule beyond deciding if this opening is available or if this opening is available which one can i offer you they they can't make space where space doesn't exist Mm -hmm. and they are often the ones who get yelled at most frequently because there's something that they personally can't solve right and and it may in most clinics if one of my receptionists comes and tells me i put this person on your schedule they called me these three names When I walk into a room with that owner, even if the owner is sweet and nice to me, I remember that they have assaulted, essentially, verbally assaulted my receptionist. And I always love their pets, but I'm not going to be open and offering creative ways to solve their problems because I'm feeling less connected to them. Um, And here's another tip. If you take care of your receptionist, your receptionist will have you in her head or his head if there is an abrupt cancellation. Right. And that wonderful, wonderful pet owner who brought me brownies last time. Right. I think I remembered that they needed an appointment. I'll call them. Right. So you know, good deeds, good deeds have good rewards. Kindness
0: as well. is key. Circle back yeah. to that. Kindness is key. <laughs> That brings up a, a a point that I wanted to talk about because as you said can't, there might be a cancellation. I know that during the pandemic, oh things got very hectic in the veterinary profession and emotions amongst – Pet owners were high because they couldn't get in to see their vets. It was like eight hour, ten hour, twelve hour waits for emergency yes. room situations. People didn't understand, and they couldn't go into the they couldn't go into the emergency room at least here in Los Angeles. Or I mean, go into the veterinarian with their pet, which I think was a mm-hmm. universal thing across the board. Um, for the most part, so they had to sit in their car, and and you know, even if their pet was in severe distress, which is adds even more stress for the pet and for the owner. Um, do you want to touch on that, do you want to touch on some of the ways that um, the pandemic affected your work and um, some of the things that came up during that?
1: Absolutely. And I completely want to acknowledge how stressful a time it has been to be a pet parent Mm -hmm. and still is. I know that wait times are still fairly high. And there are a number of things responsible for that. One As you said, during the pandemic, we had to do curbside service for the most Mm -hmm. part, which extends the length of each appointment, which automatically means fewer pets can be seen in a given time frame. Yes. During a period when pet ownership jumped, more people bought pets um, because they needed that companionship at home. And... Being at home at all times meant that more medical conditions were observed or more, you know, more, more pet human interaction happened. And so, especially with, say, our older dogs, more people were noticing things, noticing lumps, bumps, lameness, aches, pains, habits. And so there was an increased need for services for established pets as well as new pets. And... The other thing that happened during mm-hmm. the pandemic is that, as we know, childcare became really difficult to manage. And veterinarians and veterinary staff members all have kids, and some of them had to go to part time, had to take time off to manage children. Yes, and you know, among everything else, some I didn't, e- got I sick, didn't even think so, of that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. So we had reduced labor force and increased pet need for services Mm -hmm. and so those two things collided and created this this really distressing situation that you described where there are extraordinarily long wait times you know sometimes to get an appointment you have to wait a month and a half for you know for general care and i mean certainly eight years ago it was almost guaranteed that you could get something within the week or 10 days Mm -hmm. right um and so that's been a big shift, a big cultural shift in veterinary medicine to have what feels more like a human problem. Right. Um, you know, we've always been been able to get away with a more streamlined approach to veterinary care, and and now it seems like we're at the mercy of some of the the problems that human healthcare has. Um, one of the other contributors to that is that, unfortunately, the Amount of money in veterinary medicine means that veterinary technicians, um, their pay is rather poor when compared to their human counterparts. And if you add in all of the stresses and the number of times that they are the people that are targeted for unkind words, why would I stay in this system, even though I love animals, when I can make $4 an hour more in a human mm-hmm. system? Maybe I'll get yelled at just the same amount, but at least I'll get $4 more and health care and, 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 um, and maternity leave. We don't often have that in the veterinary world because all our hospitals are too small. So they don't fit under some of those acts.
0: Are they mostly like private owned or are the small hospitals mostly private owned or how does that work?
1: Corporate ownership is certainly increasing, but I have, this is a big blank spot in my, in my brain, whether or not those corporate ownerships, whether they function as individual hospitals that are then owned such the individual hospital numbers still
0: franchise
1: type of a situation. So I'm not sure how the legalities work, but, um, paid leave for maternity, et cetera, is still a very rare thing in the, the veterinary world. So. Um, so
0: during, during the pandemic, did you, or did you, did that time set up for a lot of um, burnout and um, people leaving the veterinary pr- profession? Cause I know there's a little bit even like a shortage of veterinarians right now, if mm-hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and so we had some people going to part-time or leaving in order to to manage their family life and just take care of their their individual concerns, which meant that the remaining people had not only more work, but also the increased stress of having to function in the hospital during the pandemic. So that's a double right. whammy of stress, which can certainly lead to burnout um, more quickly. And And even if burnout means that we haven't actually left the profession. Someone who is burned out has more trouble managing that relationship with a client, putting effort in to build a relationship with the client. And in that state of burnout, often the only piece that we can focus on and still care about is the pet, which is great, obviously. Right. We always need the pet to be the top of the <laughs> list. But an owner might not be able to feel that priority if if their veterinary professionals aren't also exuding empathy and sympathy and kindness to them. So there can be um, kind of a, rea- a negative reaction to feeling like you're not included in that focus bubble. And then right. that relationship gets perpetuated as strained. Right. Um, and And the other component of the pandemic was not just these these factors that feel more logistic but the CDC did several studies or it tracks over the years what component of the population reports symptoms of anxiety or depressive disorders Mm -hmm. and in 2019 before the pandemic became a thing about Mm -hmm. 8.1 percent of the population self-reported symptoms of an anxiety or depressive disorder Mm-hmm. 8.1% of the population. In 2021, that same survey, 41% of the population self-reported anxiety and depression. Right, And one of the things we know about the brain is that if a brain is anxious, if a brain is depressed, it doesn't pick up on as many nonverbal cues. And it has more difficulty experiencing compassion or experiencing empathy or receiving mm-hmm. connection. And so, in a world that's gone mad, which is how this whole pandemic has felt to me, at least. Yeah,
0: totally. Right?
1: <laughs> in this world, gone we can mad, laugh
0: about it, but yeah. Oh my God.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, we have this situation where the circumstances are strained, long wait times, subpar conditions in terms of having to wait in parking lots and wait for phone calls rather than get to have that face-to-face watching your pet go in without you all of these these big stressors and we have more anxiety depression in our world which means communication isn't ideal it's this perfect storm for difficult feelings in that client veterinary relationship and so um i mean it doesn't surprise me that we've had more conflict and more feelings of distance than maybe has been true before in that relationship, that it's just been harder. But I'm hopeful that by recognizing what factors, what outside factors are impacting us, if we know this person in front of me has not done anything wrong, I am feeling stressed, I am feeling anxious, I am worried They look worried, they look stressed, they look distant. But maybe, maybe all of that is perception and what I need to do or can do is say, thank you so much for taking care of Fluffy. I really appreciate what you're doing. And honestly, sometimes that's all you have to say and you should be prepared. You might get some tears that sometimes when you're not expecting kindness and kindness happens. you may very deeply impact somebody that day and, and fluffy will probably get three or four extra treats. You never know because that (laughs) feeling of goodwill will be extended then, then back. It's just
0: people want, people want to be seen. So they Mm -hmm. want to be seen for either the work that they do or who they are. And if someone just takes that moment in that breath to say, thank you. Yeah. Or to say, I see you or to say, it's, has it been a tough day or whatever they need to say, you know, even if it's a two second conversation, it's just, it's, it means everything. It really does. Yeah.
1: And, and I think in the past, the social contract has been that the veterinary professional is the one to take the first step. The one who first offers that, that kindness or empathy or reaches out. And I think that maybe what's happening right now is that in the veterinary profession, there's not enough energy or there's just not enough left in people to make that first step. Yeah, which doesn't mean that they won't enthusiastically take the second step. And you know, this is an ask I guess that I have for our pet parents is recognizing that you are coming to the clinic one time this week and I would ask that first step. That reaching out, um, and and know that it'll make a huge difference. I guess that it might not feel like much to you, but that little bit of kindness will feel enormous, um, and it'll probably make the next three appointments better. So you are you're you're starting that chain reaction too. That that your goodwill means that the next person is maybe greeted by a smile from the veterinarian and they've made that first step because they suddenly have this burst of energy because you've given that to them. And then, right. Then we can pay it forward.
0: So in addition to being mindful and taking that moment to realize, to remember that you are dealing with when you're dealing with your veterinarian, no matter how stressful the situation you're dealing with, a, a human being who has emotions and, and all of the things what else can we do as pet parents to prepare ourselves and our pets for veterinary mm-hmm. visits? If you have any insight into that, I mean, would it be pet insurance? I don't know how you feel about that. Or ways we can set up our dogs or our dogs. Well, it's a dog podcast, yeah. but <laughs> dogs or cats for success at the veterinary, at the veterinarian um, or, you know, Ways that we can be more mindful and on top of it. Absolutely.
1: I love this question. Um, I was trained in the fear-free method. So I, I certainly, I love, I love that. Um, Yes. Yes. It can be difficult to offer suggestions right now because I know that getting an appointment anywhere is difficult. So at this point, I do feel like some people, their options aren't as diverse as they would like just because there are constraints on um, availability. but. If you're planning ahead and able to to come at it from that perspective, looking for a clinic or an individual, individuals can be um, certified as well in the fear-free method, or at least speaking to a hospital and recognizing that that is how they operate. Oftentimes, fear-free will look like mild sedatives to take before you even walk in the clinic doors. So there's a little bit of a uh, lower stress, even walking in the doors. Yeah, um, safe and gentle handling with a, a right. faster default to sedation to accomplish physical tasks than a, a will wrestle and get through it, um, which can yeah. be can be anxiety provoking because anytime we use sedatives, there is a small amount of risk. So, you know, that can be each mm-hmm. person's choice. Um, but being able to work more slowly and sometimes it means more visits and sedatives cost money so it might be a little bit more expensive but right. if we are able to set up a dog, especially from puppyhood, if you can start at that that beautiful yes. moment when we're we're just a puppy and have a fear-free approach as they get older, they're going to be more tolerant of so many more things and so many more things will be easy for them to accept that their experience overall in the veterinary hospital will be much better and as veterinarians, if we have a dog that's wagging and happy to see us, I mean, that's a joy. We love that. So if we can be (laughs) part of building that experience, that is something that, that we often love to, um, be part of. The other thing is developing that good relationship with the receptionists and being very clear about, um, for instance, there are so many times when I have on my schedule, um, annual exam and two vaccines. And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I get to see a healthy pet. I'm going to do my annual exam and two vaccines. And I walk in and they say, well, we've had allergies for the past two months. And there's this lump that I want you to look at. And he's been limping. And I am not um, prepared maybe time-wise to address in depth those concerns that I really want to be Mindfully um, able to approach, but making sure that concerns are are communicated to receptionists, so the receptionists communicate them or put them on the schedule properly. Sometimes receptionists will schedule. Be- um, with certain veterinarians or in certain times of the day, in order to accommodate testing or further um, investigations because of what you say. So, the more you're able to let the receptionist know what you want to talk about, you know, why you're coming, yes, we'll still do those vaccines, we'll still do the animal exam. But having a very good idea of what to expect on both sides for each appointment will make that appointment more effective and um, will make sure that your priorities are managed with whatever time is available. So being very clear um, with the receptionist. Also, if money is a factor, starting at the beginning with that rather than waiting until we're halfway into a treatment plan to bring it up. you know, hello. I'm I'm so and so. We're here for an annual exam and vaccines. I have a lump that I want you to look at. My budget's about here. Um, uh, I just want to let you know right. ahead of time so that we can plan. And again, if that conversation is approached just as a neutral fact, this is this is how it is. A veterinarian will very often get on board and say, okay, well, then we aren't going to do this right. vaccine today. We're going to look at the lump instead. And when you come back in a month, we'll do that vaccine. And then we've planned it together. Exactly. Um, Right. It's not a priority. Yes. Taking a time to understand your clinic's policies can also be very helpful. Um, When do you allow drop-off exams? What can I call about and expect a veterinarian to call me back for? What is the typical Mm. callback time? And... Knowing what the policies are mean one that you have them available to use, but it also means that you know why you're being told no, because it's a policy and because it's normal flow. It's not that you specifically have been targeted or told no. And that can help you feel like you're part of the system rather than being blocked by the system. Mm -hmm. Um you know, where where do you usually suggest I go if I can't get an appointment here? And obviously there are emergency rooms, but there might be someone else. They say, oh, well, sometimes the clinic, you know, two blocks from here does walk in. So occasionally we'll share clients with them. And that might not be something that you would know about unless you asked. So so thinking about this as a relationship, you know, what do we try to do with any relationship? We learn about the other person. So if you learn about your clinic, if I have a cat if I come in in the morning, then the rooms will smell less like dogs, so maybe they'll be less stressed. Or do you have a separate cat right. room? And if you do have yeah. a separate cat room, what time of day is that usually going to be available? And I won't get shuffled into a dog room, right. or you know, f- all of these little things can communicate mean exactly. Well, and take the time to learn about your your clinic, and when you know, the more you know about your clinic, the better you'll be able to navigate the system to get the best right. care and the best um, service. And in return, if you offer kindness back and if you make it easy to take care of you because you're asking about the the things that we can do, not the things that we can't do, right. then everything will just be that much more smooth. And thanks right. and appreciation are always, always loved. Um, and most vet hospitals... Uh, we love snacks too. because Oftentimes, we don't stop for lunch.
0: Oh my gosh! Really? <laughs> um, I'll remember that next time. Snacks yes. are key. Okay. Oh, snacks
1: are great. You no, know, in the first in the first five years that I worked, I had a like I stopped working for an hour for lunch like two or three times, maybe in five years. Oh my so it god! Was, Seriously? Oh yeah. No. Oh yeah. You you learned to like eat a sandwich while you're drawing Filling blood, out you know. paperwork. Maybe not yeah. quite that bad. But. <laughs> oh but yeah oh my gosh
0: no well i'm sorry about that that's all i have to say I oh, should, no worries. snacks i'm putting now i know I <laughs> oh. so are there ways that we as pet parents can support one more vet and your
1: mission absolutely um we are a nonprofit, so donations are always very welcome we also have um a fundraiser. It's called Race Around the World that starts in September. And right. it's like many of you know of the movement type activities where you sign yourself or a team up um, and either sponsor, try to find sponsors or not. But then you track your miles and we also have donors who will look at the total number of miles accomplished by everybody and will offer donations to us based on those miles. So that can be a really fun way, especially if you commit to having those miles be dog walk miles. It can oh, be yeah. kind of this double duty of. Well,
0: you're talking um, to the right girl since I have a dog walking business, so. <laughs>
1: yes. Oh my goodness, we can definitely get you on board. I'll we'll sign get so many miles. <laughs> yes. Um, we also have advocate programs that anybody can be part of, that that will do things like drop by gift baskets to. To vet hospitals, the other thing that I mean, just spreading the word. One of the one of the areas that we are most vulnerable to in the veterinary profession is cyberbullying. So, negative Facebook posts. Um, uh,
0: someone had a bad experience, then they just put it up there. Or horrible Yelp review, mm-hmm. or all the things.
1: Yeah, right. And while we are not specifically bound by HIPAA. Oftentimes, we do try to protect you know, medical information, which means that we have a harder time responding to some of these attacks because we can't say, well, actually, what really happened was, anyway, there's lots of tangled things that can happen. And I understand when you're stressed, it can be difficult to expand your own perspective and it's easier sometimes to lash out. But the part that can get distressing is that one person lashes out and then other people instantly believe the negative and pile on top and come in to pick at the hospital or, you know, right. receptionists get death threats. It's, yep. it's not okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but so leaving space to, um, leaving space to consider that a negative review, there's probably a lot more behind that story. And um and maybe create space and be mindful about your actions in response to what you see as a negative review that you find concerning, you know, if it's your hospital, you can um, ask next time you're in, you know, Mm -hmm. I saw this really awful review. I know you can't tell me about it, but can you reassure me about this aspect that, that I found concerning? And that would be a very, um, that would be a very nice way to address a concern that you might have because of a negative review. And certainly you do want to make sure that your pet's in a safe place being cared for by compassionate people, but finding ways to address that concern that are collaborative right. rather than cyber- based, <laughs> troll based would be ideal. Um, the other thing in those in those moments, one of the ways that you can help the most is to post a good review, you know, or if you've had only positive experiences and you see this negative experience, burying that negative review that, and certainly, like I said, we we want accountability. We want to make sure that we're doing a good job. But I think most people can recognize what is an emotional lash out versus a legitimate concern that needs to be addressed for the safety of all. So... Um, yeah, spreading the good news as well as the bad, yeah, is a great thing.
0: well, thank you, Dr. Miller. I think I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and with me,
1: and um, thank you so much. I can't tell you how much it means to have you reach out and make this part of the conversation that you're having with your listeners um, and and I do want to invite you, your listeners, I'll be happy to provide my personal non-v email address. If anyone has questions or concerns or specific thoughts about how they might want to help or worries, I would be delighted to respond to those. In terms of setting expectations, my email inbox sometimes takes a week or 10 days to respond to. So those are my expectation setting moment um, for people. (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
0: I can put, that would be fantastic. And I can put, I will put all the information in the show notes for sure. So people can reference that if they want to support Not One More Vet and if they want to reach out and contact you personally, or if they have any any other questions related to veterinarians and mental health and any of those things. So thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Miller. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Baru Podcast. I've put links in the show notes for all the ways that you can help support Not One More Vet. And if you or someone you know is struggling and in crisis, there is a new suicide prevention hotline within the United States. You simply dial 988 to be connected to a crisis counselor.